Ladies and gentlemen, the following segment of the podcast is presented exclusively by Hillsdale College. Now in its 175th year, Hillsdale is a truly independent institution where learning is prized and intellectual enthusiasm is valued. Thank you for listening and my sincere appreciation to Hillsdale for their sponsorship. He's here. He's here. Now broadcasting from the underground command post. Deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Seven seven three eight one three eight one one eight seven seven three eight one three eight one one. You know, Mr. Producer, I have a simple rule. You hit a cop over the head with a baseball bat, you should be shot dead. You disagree with me? You go behind a cop and hit that cop over the head once, twice, and three times with a baseball bat, which obviously is a deadly weapon, then you should be shot dead. And I have a different thought, too. As you know, folks, I have spent 50 years now, really, since I was a young teenager, studying the law, the Constitution, our history. You know, you're not just a citizen of a state. You're the citizen of the United States. And you know how I know that? James Madison said so. Later in his life, as he saw the country coming apart, and he said, states do not have the right to secede, James Madison said, because when they committed to the Constitution, their citizens became citizens of the United States as well as the states. Abraham Lincoln made the point that slavery is not an issue of states' rights. That is an issue of the entire national government. And war was had. The equivalent today of 7 million people died. To keep the Union together and to free the slaves. You are a citizen, not just of the state, but of the United States. There are many ways to demonstrate this. If an immigrant comes into the country, 
first they must become citizens of the United States. So what does all this mean? What, Mark, what, what are you talking about? You know, I'm looking at the, this website, that, where well, I thought you... Nope. Nope. My point is this. The federal government has an absolute responsibility to protect the citizens of this country. Particularly when those who are doing the violence and the mayhem the assaults, the batteries, the killings, are doing so in the name of a counter-revolution that seeks to overthrow the government. I've been giving this a lot of thought. Absolutely the federal government has a role. We cannot leave it to mayors who are sympathetic to the counter-revolution, to the Marxist philosophy, and the overthrow of of our government. We cannot leave it to them. We cannot rely on them to protect the citizenry from these domestic terrorists and these domestic enemies. And so when the people of this country are endangered, are endangered, the federal government does have a role. It absolutely has a role. When the leaders of these movements talk about trained in Marxism, overthrowing the country, burning down the system. That's not a local issue. That's not even purely a states' rights issue. That is an America issue. And I hope very strongly that the administration, that smart people at the Department of Justice and other entities within the federal government are giving thought to how to approach this. Because I just gave them somewhat of a path. Somewhat of a path. We cannot have a civil war in this country with the anarchist Marxists, whether they use race or police brutality, whatever they, whatever they use. It's a fig leaf. It's a fig leaf. What they really mean is to burn down the system, as the clown said in New York. We just cannot sit by anymore and watch as our police officers are treated this way because their mayors are so appalling. A citizen of New York is also a citizen of the United States. A citizen of Portland is also a citizen of the United States. A citizen of Seattle is also a citizen of the United States. And there are people in these metropolitan areas who are scared to death, who do not support this. And many of them are minorities. In my humble opinion. And I don't need these these ex-generals and their massive egos and their book deals and their speech deals. And I don't need the former national security advisor or some low-life niece. I don't need any of that. None of their books. They don't get to tell the president what to do. If anything, this president has been far more passive than past presidents when it's come to domestic disturbances. Because that's his nature. That's his nature. Dwight Eisenhower ordered the United States military to round up one million illegal aliens and remove them forcibly, if necessary, from the country, which is exactly what he did. 
and yet Ike is loved. Fine. Franklin Roosevelt ordered the military. I'm doing this by memory. I think it was military order, not executive order, military order 9033. The United States military to round up Japanese-American citizens, 120,000 of them, and move them to internment camps. That's exactly what they did. The Insurrection Act has been used repeatedly by presidents to put down a single riot in a single city. We're talking about a sustained, well-financed, revolutionary militia effort backed by George Soros and other billionaires, backed by the NBA and the NFL, to overthrow the United States government. And the citizens need protection. Now you might say, well, why the hell doesn't Trump do it already? Because it's not so simple. I'm making the case that as with the Civil War, as James Madison pointed out, well before there was a Civil War, you, to whom I am speaking, you are not only a citizen of a town, of a county, of a state, but you are a citizen of the United States. A citizen of the United States. By the way, there's this poll being done by Monmouth University of like 407 registered voters. For First of all, 407 registered voters as opposed to likely voters, and 407, what kind of a... Uh, what kind of pseudoscience is this when it comes to polling, Mr. Medusa? Anyway, that's a side point. All of this is intended to dispirit you. If you want to be dispirited, we'll be dispirited if we lose the election. But until then, we fight. So we win the election. Now, this Barry Weiss, who none of us ever heard of before, has become famous as a result of a letter she wrote. Two and a half, three pages. There she was working for the New York Times and the opinion page. Now, Barry Weiss had listened to this show at any time prior to her joining the New York Times three or so years ago. She would have known what a cesspool that place was. And she would have known the unlikelihood of having longevity there. If she had read books by at least three professors and scholars about the history of the New York Times. As we've discussed here over and over again, she would have known that she's working for a newspaper that is evil. And it has been evil a long, long time. Whether it's the slaughter of the Ukrainians by Stalin or the slaughter of the European Jews by Hitler. In one case, the New York Times was the propaganda wing for Stalin In the other case, it self-censored as much information as it possibly could with rare articles in the back pages. And as we've talked about here over and over and over again, you have to wonder why anybody wants to work for that crap newspaper, that crap corporation. But apparently they do. Because it's the gold standard for the media. Now, what does that tell you? When the New York Times is the gold standard for the media, what does that tell you? That it's bankrupt. 
It's counterfeit. I've got a hell of a lot more. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. Hillsdale College serves four purposes. Learning, character, faith, and freedom. Education and faith thrive in freedom. And freedom requires an educated people, a people of good character to preserve it. Hillsdale has been providing the education needed to preserve free government for 175 years. It continues to provide that education today, not only to its 1,500 undergraduate and graduate students, but nationwide through its online courses, its support of classical K-12 charter schools, and its other outreach efforts on behalf of liberty. Hillsdale's Articles of Association, dating back to 1844, Commit the college to preserving the blessings of civil and religious liberty through the provision of sound learning. This learning includes the Constitution. It includes the laws of nature and nature's God. Hillsdale's motto is pursuing truth and defending liberty since 1844. And it'll continue to fight to live up to that motto, come what may. Learn more. Go to levinforhillsdale.com, L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. The Democrat Party, and by the Democrat Party, I mean all of its instrumentalities, media, academia, Hollywood, and so forth, has become a party that believes in the rule by demagogues and mobs. And these are things that Madison feared and Jefferson feared, that many of the founders feared. Ambitious and crude politicians playing on the emotions of the public. If you look at Federalist number 10, Madison is concerned that under such circumstances, uh, you reject the rights of other citizens. We call it now the cancel culture. So Madison predicted this, and they tried to set up a constitution to protect us from it. But for a hundred years, the American-styled Marxists, so-called progressives, have been chipping away and chipping away and chipping away at this constitutional order. I want to talk about the media. I wrote an entire book on the media, and many of you have read this book. And uh, somebody should give this book to Barry Weiss. Unfreedom of the press is about how those entrusted with news reporting the modern media are destroying freedom of the press from within. Not government oppression or suppression, not President Trump's finger pointing, but present day newsrooms and journalists. Indeed, social activism, progressive groupthink, Democrat Party partisanship, opinion and propaganda passed off as news. The staging of pseudo events, self-censorship, bias by omission. And outright falsehoods are too often substituted for old-fashioned, objective fact-gathering and news reporting. A self-perpetuating and reinforcing mindset has replaced independent and impartial thinking. And the American people know it. Thus, the credibility of the mass media has never been lower. Unlike the early patriot press, today's newsrooms and journalists are mostly hostile to America's founding principles. This was published 14 months ago. They do not promote free speech and press freedom despite their self-serving and self-righteous claims. 
Indeed, they serve as societal filters attempting to enforce uniformity of thought and social and political activism centered on the progressive ideology and agenda. Issues, events, groups, and individuals that do not fit the narrative are dismissed or diminished. Those that do fit the narrative are elevated and celebrated. Of course, this paradigm greatly influences the culture, the government, and the national psyche. It defines a media-created reality, whether or not it has a basis in true reality, around which individuals organize their thoughts, beliefs, and in some cases, their lives. Yet there is mystery and opacity that surround all of it. If one dares to question or criticize the motives and work product of this enterprise or aspects of it, that is, the reporting by one or more newsrooms, the response is often knee-jerk and emotionally charged, with the inquirer or critic portrayed as hostile to press freedom, and the collective media circling the wagons around themselves. Bears reminding that the purpose of a free press, like the purpose of free speech, is to nurture the mind, communicate ideas, challenge ideology, share notions, inspire creativity, and advocate and reinforce America's founding principles. That is, to contribute to a vigorous, productive, healthy, and happy individual and a well-functioning civil society and republic. And the media are to expose official actions aimed at squelching speech and communication. But when the media function as a propaganda tool for a single political party and ideology, they not only destroy their own purpose, but they threaten the very existence of a free republic. It's surely not for the government to control the press, yet the press seems incapable of policing itself. We must remember, we are not merely observers. We are the citizenry. We, the people, for whom this nation was established, and for whom it exists, in order to form a more perfect union, establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility, provide for the common defense, promote the general welfare, and secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity. Must demand a media worthy of our great republic. We begin the process by informing ourselves about those institutions and individuals who, by their own anointment, proclaim the high-minded obligation of informing us. Maybe I should have worked for the New York Times and let them have it on the way out the door. What do you think? All right, a lot more. I'll be right back. Hillsdale College serves four purposes, learning, character, faith, and freedom. Education and faith thrive in freedom, and freedom requires an educated people, a people of good character to preserve it. Hillsdale has been providing the education needed to preserve free government for 175 years. It continues to provide that education today, not only to its 1,500 undergraduate and graduate students, but nationwide through its online courses, its support of classical K-12 charter schools, and its other outreach efforts on behalf of liberty. Hillsdale's Articles of Association, dating back to 1844, commit the college to preserving the blessings of civil and religious liberty through the provision of sound learning. This learning includes the Constitution. It includes the laws of nature and nature's God. Hillsdale's motto is pursuing truth and defending liberty since 1844. And it'll continue to fight to live up to that motto, come what may. Learn more. Go to levinforhillsdale.com, L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com.
voice, Mark Levin. Talk with that voice now, 877-381-3811. I want to say something to Dr. Anthony Fauci. I don't know why people are speaking ill of you, doctor. May I call you Tony? Is that T-O-N-I or T-O-N-Y? Does it matter, Tony? We all look up to you, Tony. I don't know where we would be without you. No mask. Now mask. Hunker down, don't hunker down. School's in, school's out. You're the Einstein of infectious diseases. We've never seen anything so incredible. You're God's gift to the American people. 50 years in government. As I sit here and calculate, you've been in Washington longer than Joe Biden. And yet, look how you've kept your wits about you. I want to thank you on behalf of the Mark Levin Show, Tony, for standing at the ready with all those tests when the China virus... Oh, you didn't have tests? Okay, well, forget about that one. I want to thank you early on when you did interviews with John Castaneda's and Newsmax. And you told the American people, don't worry, this is really nothing more than in the kin to the flu. Oh, forget about that one. I'm sorry. No, I want to thank you. When you told all the college students and university students to go home. Go home and hunker down with your elderly parents and grandparents. Nothing could go wrong then. Oops, forget about that one. I remember, I remember those solemn words when you were asked about the enormous damage to the American economy. Remember that, Tony? Remember what you said in one word? Inconvenient, I believe you said it was. Inconvenient. Forty million people, newly unemployed, seeking uninsurance, unemployment insurance, Inconvenient. That kind of sums it up right there, Dr. Fauci. I remember your love letters to Hillary Clinton. Even Bill stopped sending love letters to Hillary Clinton. That was a such a, a magnificent act of compassion on your part. I'm sure she got very excited. And I remember your profound words that press conference after press conference stay at home, wear the mask wear gloves don't go out absolute genius I remember how you ignored all the other experts who haven't been in the federal government for half a century experts from Stanford Yale Oxford, University of Chicago Rockefeller College so many experts were trying to convince you to take a different course. And you, sir, you stood firm. 
Some people would call you arrogant and stubborn, but I wouldn't. No. You're the Fouch. May I call you the Fouch, Tony? We all love you so much. No, not in that way. But we all love you so much, Tony. The media adore you. You're always available. Always available. Three in the morning, there you are, the BBC. Unbelievable. Constant presence on MSNBC and CNN. You are way ahead of the curve, Tony. May I call you Tony? I think I will. Way ahead of the curve. Yes, we won't forget. Don't worry and don't wear a mask. That'll go down in history. As some truly great science. Don't listen to that guy over there, Navarra. No, no, no. He's, he's over there. He's a kook. You know, he's over there on his own. Oh. And I remember when I interviewed you, Tony. I do. Way back in March. Remember that, Mr. Reducer? Was it what, like March 20? I don't remember. And I asked you if the president was following the science. Yes, he is. And whenever I ask him to do something, he always does it. Well, that's following the science. I don't believe you have a Napoleonic psyche, uh, as some have said. No, I, I would never believe that. No, America loves you, Fouch. America loves you. We can't get enough of you. Should we open our schools? Well, it depends. I'm telling you. The science is unbelievable. Coming out of the infectious disease office and the CDC, we've never seen science like this before. Don't open so fast. Oh. Don't open so slow. Oh. Schools? And I turn to Dr. Burks, so she'll, she'll fill you. You're the best. Absolutely the best. But I just want you to know, it's not only the Democrat Party, not only the Democrat Party media, not only the teachers' unions, but we all love you, Tony. We're all blessed. Like Tony Fauci. All four feet, nine inches tall of him. But I say that in all due respect. Because a man who stands ten feet tall with no ego whatsoever. None. Will we have a vaccine soon? Uh, it takes years to get a vaccine. And then just yesterday, as they work so hard in the private sector, where you have really worked, Tony. And that's a good thing. Neither is Biden. It's okay, it's okay. Neither is Schumer. It's all right. And it looks like we might be close to a vaccine. And then, Tony, you move in front of the parade. I mean, front of the line. We may have a vaccine soon. This will be good. Thank you for all your enormous contributions, Tony. Vaccines, ventilators, face masks, gloves. You know that Trump? Incompetent. He didn't act fast enough. But you, Tony? You were Tony on the spot. 
Your advice, unbelievable. And I asked you during that interview, how's the administration doing? And you had another one-word answer for me, Tony. Impressive. It's impressive. And yet you don't tell that to Nancy Pelosi. <laughs> the president, <laughs> I hate him, the president, he should act as a, should have, the president, president. You remember her, don't you, Tony? You may want to prescribe something for her. No, you're not a media figure, Tony. You're a national hero. And anybody who says otherwise is to be destroyed. And for good reason. Don't get in the way of the Fauci. America's greatest scientist, medical doctor, demigod, you name it. Thank you for everything. The tests, the masks, the advice. This is why we have such a big centralized federal government. Where else? Could we find such a person? Now I have to say this, Tony. May I call you Tony? I think I will. I have to say this to you, Tony. 50 years in the federal bureaucracy? You must be quite the survivor. One administration after another. Almost 37 years in your current position. This is almost unheard of. Unless you were the senior senator from Delaware who liked to take train rides every day, up and down and up and down, from Washington to New York and back and forth. Anyway. I used to think, all those years I worked in the Reagan administration, anybody that could hold on their job for 37 years at the highest position, man, they must be some SOB inside fighter bureaucrat, but not you, Tony. You're the exception. You're the exception. I want to make a recommendation to the millions and millions of people who are listening to this program. I think we should name a federal holiday. While we're naming federal holidays, I think we should name a federal holiday. Dr. Anthony Tony the Fouch Fouch. A national holiday, Mr. Producer. Where we can close all of our schools, close all of our business, close Washington, D.C., just to remember what it's been like. Three-day holiday, three-week, you know, a long weekend. Shut everything down. And celebrate. Six feet apart. Wearing masks. And rubber gloves. You know, rubber gloves, just put condoms on your fingers. This is what I've heard. The Fouch. You'll never hear me say a negative thing about Tony Fauci. The press has been right all along. Imagine that. Forget about the press examining the science, talking to other scientists, other medical experts, looking at the actual data, even on the CDC. Forget it. When the Fouch speaks, it's like the old E.F. Hutton commercial. Everybody listens. Or maybe like Confucius. Confucius says, Tony says. What did Tony say? 
Tony says, keep everything shut down, wear masks, wear gloves, eat soft food. Then by God, that's what we'll do. We're going to follow the science right to the end of the earth. And so this is America's love letter to Tony. May I call you Tony? I think I will. Tony the Fouch, Anthony Fauci. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. Hillsdale College serves four purposes. Learning, character, faith, and freedom. Education and faith thrive in freedom. And freedom requires an educated people, a people of good character to preserve it. Hillsdale has been providing the education needed to preserve free government for 175 years. It continues to provide that education today, not only to its 1,500 undergraduate and graduate students, but nationwide through its online courses, its support of classical K-12 charter schools, and its other outreach efforts on behalf of liberty. Hillsdale's Articles of Association, dating back to 1844, commit the college to preserving the blessings of civil and religious liberty through the provision of sound learning. This learning includes the Constitution. It includes the laws of nature and nature's God. Hillsdale's motto is pursuing truth and defending liberty since 1844. And it will continue to fight to live up to that motto, come what may. Learn more. Go to levinforhillsdale.com, L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. Matter of fact, I'm doing this program this evening, Mr. Producer, in honor of Tony the Fouch, Dr. Anthony Fauci. This program's in honor of you tonight, sir. How much time do I have, Mr. Producer? Not enough. When I come back, just so you know what you're in for, I want to talk about, continue with our theme here, about what I call the crap media. The full of crap media. Uh, This Barry Weiss has gotten a lot of attention, and rightly so, because she was in the belly of the the beast, And she resigned after three years. If she had listened to this show, she would have known all about the belly of the beast. But I guess she thought she could make a difference. But her letter that she wrote is not that much different. I'm not accusing her of anything in, in the least. I think she's stand up. But it's not that much different than the sentiment of a letter or a piece that was written by Will Ron. Way back, November 11, 2016, right after President Trump was elected. He's the CBS News digital political correspondent and the network's managing director of politics, or at least he was. And he wrote an extraordinary piece. And apparently I'm the only one who read it, and I included significant parts of it in the book. The problem with this phrase, cancel culture, is it's too passive. Oh, I've been canceled. You weren't canceled, you were eviscerated, you were obliterated, you were destroyed. You're under attack. Oh, it's the cancel culture. This is the problem with conservatives, Republicans, uh, whatever you want. They're out there burning stuff down, talking on Marxism, beating cops over the head with baseball bats that they hand out, and we use their, oh, it's the cancel culture, Mr. Producer, so intolerant. They're intolerant of opposing views. 
It's a Marxist counter-revolution, ladies and gentlemen, where they seek to destroy you, your way of life, and our country. And they're armed. And they're violent. And if they succeed in beating down our police forces with the help of a fifth column called the Democrat Party, there's nothing that stands between you and them. The blue line's gone. That's the problem. Now, LeBron James and uh, who else? Oprah Winfrey. Bill Gates and all the rest of them, they can pay for protection. They can get on private jets. They can fly wherever. They're going to be fine. So who gives a you-know-what, a flying fig? What they think or have to say. They have no connection with reality. None. It's like these clowns in Congress, starting at the top with Nancy Stretch Pelosi. They have a whole Capitol Police system up there. They got metal detectors, all, all kinds of stuff. Jails in the basement. You don't cross Nancy Pelosi, no. It's like crossing Dracula, may I say, with all due respect. She looks a little like Dracula in the right light, doesn't she, Mr. Producer? Anyway, they're going to protect themselves. You better believe it. But in the streets, you're left to yourself. You're left on your own. Well, that's got to stop. We have to turn this around. I don't want any more police reform. If the cop is hitting the head with a bat, I want them to beat the flying you-know-what out of that bastard. And if the mayor doesn't like it, screw the mayor. Hell, hell, you know what? That's Mark's police reform right there. I'll be right back. From the Westwood One Podcast Network. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, America. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877 877-381-3811. 877-381-3811. Today's show is conducted in honor of Dr. Anthony Tony of the Fauci Fauci. We embrace the cult of Fauci on this program. Now, Barry Weiss, who honestly I never really heard of before, uh, who was running or contributing to running the opinion page of the New York Times, uh, she says she is a centrist or left of center centrist Democrat. I believe she pointed out that she's bisexual. I don't know why you got to. Oh, okay. Uh, Oh, thank you. Um, But nonetheless, at one point she worked for the opinion page of the Wall Street Journal. So I guess she thought she was getting a promotion by going to the New York Times. I'll never understand this, given the history of the New York Times. But that said, her letter was outstanding. And it reminded me of a letter, or I should say an opinion piece that was written by Will Ron. Who's Will Ron? Will Ron. Right after the election of Donald Trump, which shocked the media, which shocked the elites, wrote a piece 
that says so much of what three and a half years later Barry Weiss says. And I go to this because nothing has changed. Nothing has changed. Here's what he wrote. The mood in the Washington press corps is bleak, and deservedly so. It shouldn't come as a surprise to anyone that with a few exceptions, we were all tacitly or explicitly hashtag with her, meaning Hillary, which has led to a certain anguish in the face of Donald Trump's victory. Remember, this is right after his election. More than that, and more importantly, we also miss the story. After having spent months mocking the people who had a better sense of what was going on. This is all symptomatic of modern journalism's great moral and intellectual failing. It's unbearable smugness. Had Hillary Clinton won, there'd be a winking, quote-unquote, we did it feeling in the press, a sense that we were brave and called Trump a liar and saved the republic. So much for that. The audience for our glib analysis and contempt for much of the electorate, it turned out, was rather limited. This was particularly true when it came to voters, the ones who turned out by the millions to deliver not only a rebuke to the political system, but also the people who cover it. Trump knew what he was doing when he invited his crowds to jeer and hiss the reporters covering him. They hate us and have for some time. And can you blame them? Journalists love mocking Trump supporters. We insult their appearances. We dismiss them as racists and sexists. We emote on Twitter about how this or that comment or policy makes us feel one way or the other, and yet we reject their feelings as invalid. It's a profound failure of empathy in the service of endless posturing. There's been some sympathy from the press, sure. The dispatches from heroin country that read like reports from colonial administrators checking in on the natives. But much of that starts from the assumption that Trump voters are backward. And that it's our duty to catalog and ultimately reverse that backwardness. What can we do to get these people to stop worshiping their false god and accept our gospel? We diagnose them as racists in the way the Dark Age clerics confuse medical problems with demonic possession. Journalists, at our worst, see ourselves as a priestly caste. We believe we not only have access to the indisputable facts, but also a greater truth, a system of beliefs divine from an advanced understanding of justice. You'd think that Trump's victory, the one we all discounted too far in advance, would lead to a certain newfound humility in the political press. But of course... That's not how it works. To us, speaking broadly, our diagnosis was still basically correct. The demons were just stronger than we realized. This is all a whitewash, you see. Excuse me. This is all a white lash, you see. Trump voters are racist and sexist. So there must be more racist and sexist than we realized. Tuesday night's outcome was not a logic-driven rejection of a deeply flawed candidate named Clinton. No was a primal scream against fairness, equality, and progress. Let the new tantrums commence, and they sure as hell have. That's the fantasy. The idea that if we mock them enough, call them racist enough, 
they'll eventually shut up and get in line. It's similar to how media Twitter works, a system where people who dissent from the proper framing of a story are attacked by mobs of smugly incredulous pundits. Journalists exist primarily in a world where people can get shouted down and disappear, which informs our attitudes toward all disagreement. You see how closely Barry Weiss's piece aligns with this, Mr. Producer? Journalists increasingly don't even believe in the possibility of reason disagreement, and as such ascribe cynical motives to those who think about things a different way. We see this in the ongoing veneration of facts, the ones peddled by explainer websites and data journalists who believe themselves to be curiously post-illogical. But the explainers and data journalists so frequently get things hilariously wrong never invites the soul-searching you'd think it would. Instead, all it just somehow leads us to more smugness, more meanness, more certainty from the reporters and the pundits. Faced with defeat, we retreat further into our bubble, assumptions left unchecked. No, it's the voters who are wrong, you see. As a direct result, we get it wrong with greater frequency. Out on the road, we forget to ask the right questions. We don't even imagine the right questions. We go into assignments too certain that what we find will serve to justify our biases. The public's estimation of the press declines even further. Fewer than one in three Americans trust the press per gallop, which starts the cycle anew. There's a place for opinionated journalism. In fact, it's vital. But our casual Profession-wide smugness and protestations of superiority are making us unable to do it well. Our theme now should be humility. We must become more impartial, not less so. We have to abandon our easy culture of tantrums and recrimination. We have to stop writing these know-it-all 140-character sermons on social media and admit that as a class... Journalists have a shamefully limited understanding of the country we cover. What's worse, we don't make much of an effort to really understand, and with too few exceptions, treat the economic grievances of middle America like there's some sort of punchline. And they still do with this virus, ladies and gentlemen. Fauci does, Pelosi does, Biden does, Schumer does. Sometimes, quite literally so, he writes, such as when reporters tweet out a photo of racist-looking Trump supporters, quote-unquote, and jokingly suggest that they must be upset about free trade or low wages. We have to fix this and the broken reasoning behind it. There's a fleeting fun to gang-ups and groupthink. But it's not worth what we're losing in the process. That was a brilliant piece. I included most of it in Unfreedom of the Press. Now, earlier today, Unfreedom of the Press was 60% off, and I ran right to my uh, social sites, Mark Levin Show Facebook, Mark Levin Show Twitter, for those who are interested. And I said, now, 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 act now. It was like 10 or 11 bucks. I don't know what it is right now. It doesn't matter. But this is a book for our time. That's why it sold so many copies, and that's why it was not reviewed by Barry Weiss, in the New York Times, and the op-ed page. It was not reviewed by National Review. It was not reviewed by the Washington Post. Perhaps they, and so many others, are out of touch 
Former ABC News anchor, longtime journalist Ted Koppel, no Trump supporter or conservative, expressed his profound concern about the state of journalism, and particularly reporting at the New York Times during a March 7, 2019 discussion with Marvin Kalb at the Carnegie Endowment for International Peace. As I cited in the book as well, and here's what he said in part. And this is, you know, Koppel, who's no fan of mine or conservatives, but this is what he said. We have things appearing on the front page of the New York Times right now that never would have appeared 50 years ago. Analysis, commentary on the front page. I remember sitting at the breakfast table with my wife during the campaign after the Access Hollywood tape came out. And the New York Times, I will not offend any of you by using the language, but you know exactly what the words, what they were. And they were spelled out on the front page of the New York Times. So President Trump's perception that the establishment press is out to get him doesn't mean that great journalism is not being done. It is. But the notion that most of us look upon Donald Trump as being an absolute fiasco, so he shows his politics, he's not mistaken in that perception. And he's not mistaken when so many of the liberal media, for example, describe themselves as belonging to the resistance. And Koppel asks, what does that mean? That's not said by people who consider themselves reporters, objective reporters. That's the kind of language that's used by people who genuinely believe, and I rather suspect with some justification, he says, that Trump is bad for the United States. And they're betting that the sooner he's out of office, the better they will like it. Boy, he had no clue, but quite prescient there on their, on their agenda. Whether that happens by virtue of indictment, impeachment, or election, we'll see. We are not the reservoir of objectivity. I think we were. I think we were. Then there's Jim Rutenberg, who became a correspondent, much like Walter Durante for the New York Times, after being, who became a columnist after being a correspondent for the New York Times. He's very blunt about what's going on. During the course of the election, even before Donald Trump was president, he wrote a piece on August 7, 2016. Again, included in the book, which has become now infamous. And he says, in part, if you're a working journalist and you believe that Donald Trump is a demagogue, playing to the nation's worst racist and nationalistic tendencies, this is well before the president was elected, that he cozies up to anti-American dictators and that he would be dangerous with control of the United States nuclear codes. How the heck are you supposed to cover him? If you believe all those things, you have to throw out the textbook of American journalism that has been used for the better part of the past half century, if not longer, and approach it in a way you've never approached anything in your career. If you view a Trump presidency as something that's potentially dangerous, then your reporting it is going to reflect that. You would move closer than you've ever been to being oppositional. Now, that's uncomfortable and uncharted territory for every mainstream non-opinion journalist I've ever known. And by normal standards, untenable. But the question that everyone was grappling with is, do normal standards apply? And if they don't, what should take their place? It may not always seem fair to Mr. Trump or his supporters, but journalism shouldn't measure itself against any one campaign's definition of fairness. It is journalism's job to be true to the readers and viewers and true to the facts in a way that will stand up to history's judgment. 
To do anything less would be untenable. So he abandons subjective truth. He abandons the early principles of a free press in Americans' founding. And he's not alone. This is exactly what's being taught in journalism school. And Democrats, who secrete themselves in the various newsrooms and news platforms, are of exactly the same mindset. They're on an ideological mission, ladies and gentlemen. They believe in what the rioters believe. They believe in what the highly trained Marxists, the three co-founders of Black Lives Matter, believe. They believe in what Antifa believes. That's why they're not critical of Antifa. They believe in the total destruction of the President of the United States. No matter what it takes. An unconstitutional impeachment. Endless subpoenas. An unconstitutional indictment if they could get one. The destruction of his family. But this president fights back. And I would suggest rather than talking about what he tweeted, as if that's some kind of crime against humanity. Why not talk about why he's tweeting? Because we don't have a free press in this country anymore. Ask Barry Weiss. Ask Will Ron. I'll be right back. in. In today's digital age, where cyber threats loom larger than ever, safeguarding your personal information is paramount. So why is Congress considering a law that could put your credit card data at greater risk of being hacked and exposed to foreign networks? This Durbin Marshall credit card bill could jeopardize your financial data, make it more susceptible to cyber intrusions. It's a controversial bill that proposes a shift in billions of dollars worth of consumer transactions to payment networks that lack the robust security measures consumers rely on. Who could possibly want that? Well, the answer, woke corporate megastores seeking to inflate their multi-billion dollar profit margins. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill will undermine our safe and convenient payment systems and endanger your data security. It's time to take a stand. Visit electronicpaymentscoalition.org. Make your voice heard. Tell your senators to oppose the radical Durbin Marshall credit card bill paid for by the Electronic Payments Coalition. There's some massive attack taking place on uh, certain accounts on Twitter, apparently, potentially mine. Mr. Uh, call screener Richie V, who is a great podcaster in his own right. Richie V, what's going on exactly? So apparently a bunch of uh, big name figures, uh, President Obama, Joe Biden and others have been hacked. Uh, allegedly, and Twitter's taken the action of locking everybody that has a blue verified check mark on their account. Those accounts are now locked, so no one can communicate. That includes you and the president. And these blue checks mean what? It just means you are who you say you are. So Twitter's trying to defend all the blue check accounts. Correct, against this uh, alleged hack. So there's a hack, allegedly, taking place, and it's explained over at Right Scoop, I believe, correct? That's right. Rightscoop.com, and I believe it's accurate. So there is a massive hacking effort going on. We don't know who it is, at least not yet. And so it has already attacked certain accounts, 
and Twitter is locking down other accounts to protect the accounts, including mine, you're saying? Absolutely. That's 100% correct. What's happening on Facebook? Anything? Haven't seen anything on Facebook, but we did try to put a tweet out uh, for Levin TV, and it bounced back to us. We tried to put a tweet out on Levin TV, which we do whenever we do a Levin TV, to, to show the public what clip we have. Did it, did it remain on the Facebook account? Can you check that? Yeah, it's on Facebook. So it's still on Facebook. All right. So I'm letting you know what's going on in real time. Certain accounts on Twitter are under attack um, by some kind of uh, hacker or a hacking country or something or other. But we're going to keep posting on Facebook. Plus, uh, and Parler. Don't forget to check out Parler. And where do you go to check out Parler, Mr. Producer? At Mark Levin Show on Parler. At Mark Levin Show on Parler. So there's always Parler. And, of course, I use Facebook a lot still, too. When we come back, I I spent a significant amount of time last night, and I want to thank you for your forbearance, discussing at some length and substantively the extent of anti-Semitism in the Democrat Party, in the NFL, in the NBA, and in other places where pro-Democrat individuals work and also, quite frankly, in a majority-minority enterprise such as the NFL and the NBA. And Kareem Abdul-Jabbar has just commented on this. I'll be right back. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device, or play on PC through Facebook games. Making conservatism great again. Dial in now. 877-381-3811. Interest rates are nearing another record low in response to the Fed's moves to encourage consumer spending. In fact, mortgage rates specifically are in the low threes, and in some instances, they can be lower. So if you're a homeowner, you absolutely need to look at a mortgage refinance immediately. And you can do it without starting back at the beginning. And it can save you hundreds of dollars a month, hundreds a month, maybe up to $1,000. Only if you call American Finance. They're a wonderful family-owned business, and they are focused exclusively on you, the customer. You get a free mortgage review. There's no pressure obligation, no upfront fees, just a simple conversation around the ways you can save. Because at American Financing, they really are in it for you. Mr. Producer used them, my daughter used them, and they were extremely happy. And they've been helping our listeners for a very long time now. Lowering rates, paying off high interest debt, even financing new homes. This is a great company, and I'm certain they can help you save a lot of money. Don't burn money. Don't throw your money away. You can lower the rate, save a lot of money every week, 
and still live in the same house or pay off your high interest debt. Some of you are paying 8, 9, 10, 12, 14, 16% and you don't even know it on your credit card. Stop doing that. Call 888-900-1828. That's their number. 888-900-1828. 888-900-1828. Or visit AmericanFinancing.net. American Financing, NMLS, 182334, www.nmlsconsumeraccess.org. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Now, he has to do what everybody on the left has to do, apparently, in order to save some face, and that's attack Trump. And so there's a paragraph in here where he twists what Trump has said, twists the Jared Kirshner, uh, son-in-law, campaign honcho part, It's a relatively short paragraph. I'm going to try and overlook it. Because that's just more of the same. The idea that Trump is an anti-Semite or a racist is belied by all of his actions. And we've talked about it till I am blue in the face. And yes, blue lives matter. Recent incidents of anti-Semitic tweets, he writes, and posts from sports and entertainment celebrities are a very troubling omen for the future of the Black Lives Matter movement. But so too is the shocking lack of massive indignation. Given the new wokefulness in Hollywood and the sports world, we expected more passionate public outrage. What we got was a shrug of marriage. When reading the dark, squishy entrails of popular culture, marriage, in the face of sustained prejudice, is an indisputable sign of the coming apathalypse. Apathy to all forms of social justice. After all, if it's okay to discriminate against one group of people by hauling our cultural stereotypes without much pushback, it must be okay to do the same to others. Illogic begets illogic. Ice Cube's June 10 day-long series of tweets, I wasn't even aware of this, which involved some creepy symbols and images, in general implied that Jews were responsible for the oppression of blacks. NFL player Deshaun Jackson tweeted out several anti-Semitic messages, including a quote he incorrectly thought was from Adolf Hitler. Not your go-to guy for why we can't get along, quotes. Stating that Jews had a plan to extort America and achieve world domination. Isn't that Spectre's job in James Bond movies? Right, Jabbar? These these statements will be laughed at by anyone with a middle school grasp of reason. But then former NBA player Steven Jackson, a self-proclaimed activist, undid whatever progress his previous advocacy may have achieved by agreeing with Deshaun Jackson on social media. Then he went on to talk about the Rothschilds owning all the banks and his support for the notorious homophobe and anti-Semite Louis Farrakhan. That is the kind of dehumanizing characterization of a people. That causes the police abuses, he says, that killed his friend, George Floyd. June continued to bust out all over with anti-Semitism when performer Chelsea Handler, herself Jewish, posted videos of Farrakhan to her 3.9 million followers. That means almost 4 million people received a subliminal message that even some Jews think being anti-Jewish is justified. Now he slams Trump... I'm going to move on. These famous outspoken people share the same scapegoat logic as all oppressive groups from Nazis to the Klan. All our troubles are because of 
bad apple groups that worship wrong, have the wrong complexion, come from the wrong country, are the wrong gender, or love the wrong gender. It's so disheartening to see people from groups that have been violently marginalized do the same thing to others without realizing that perpetuating this kind of bad logic is what perpetuates racism. Yes, some of the above apologize to Sean Jackson, Stephen Jackson, Chelsea Handler, while others continue to defiantly marinate in their own prejudice. Their arrogant and irrational response to accusations of anti-Semitism, rather than dissuade us, actually confirm people's worst opinions. Ice Cube's response was remorseless. Quote, what if I, just, what, what if I was just pro-black? This is the truth, brother. I didn't lie on anyone. I didn't say I was anti-anybody. Don't believe the hype. I've been telling my truth, unquote. Well, his truth was clearly anti-Semitic. And he says, but like Trump, he believes his truth exists outside facts. This constant Trump thing is really takes away from Jabbar's point. But that's all right. Let's keep moving. Even the apologies floundered. More attempts at spin than true contrition. In a CNN interview, Stephen Jackson was angry and belligerent at being called out. Quote, I stated I could have changed my words. There's nothing I said that I support any of that. There's nothing I said that I hate anybody. I apologize for my words, and I could have switched up. That's the end of it. I love everybody. Well, it's possible the words were wrong. Celebrities have a responsibility to get the words right. It's not enough to have good intentions because it's the actual deeds and words which have the real impact. In this case, destructive impact. In 2013, there were 751 reported hate crimes against Jews. But by 2019, the number had nearly tripled to 2,107. The same year, a gunman in San Diego entered a synagogue and murdered one person while wounding three. One of the most powerful songs, then he gets in the songs. He says, the never... The lesson never changes, so why is it so hard for some people to learn? No one is free until everyone is free. As Martin Luther King Jr. explained, injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. We are caught in an inescapable network of mutuality. So let's act like it. If we're going to be outraged by injustice, let's be outraged by injustice against anyone. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. All in all, a pretty damn potent piece, don't you think, Mr. Producer? I haven't read many others. When I had Stephen A. Smith on this program, he denounced it. He said he even called to Sean Jackson and said, what the hell are you doing? What the hell are you doing? Well, I'm just trying to empower our people. Empower our people? With references to Adolf Hitler? Then you have the other Jackson, Stephen Jackson. And Stephen A. condemned him. It would be nice if we could see more of this. And I'm not just talking about African Americans. I'm talking about the people who put themselves out there as down for the revolution. I could be wrong. And if I am, I stand corrected. But I've heard nothing from LeBron James. Mr. Producer, I asked you to look the other day, didn't I? Nothing. I saw nothing 
from Oprah Winfrey. Nothing. I saw nothing from Steph Curry. Nothing. Nothing. From Popovich. Nothing. Nothing from corporate executives. Almost nothing from sportscasters. And the silence is deafening. It's still out there. It's still out there. In fact, it's worse. I want you to listen to this. Nancy Pelosi, as you know, is the Speaker of the House of Representatives. This is the second time she's Speaker of the House of Representatives. She has, by by a dictatorial fiat, that is, fascistically changed the rules of the House. So she single-handedly controls the House of Representatives with 20 of her closest consigliaries. She writes the legislation in her office. They have uh, votes, these 20, of the other members. She did this for a long period of time. That's not representative government, ladies and gentlemen. That is a coup. That's a takeover of the House of Representatives. When it came to Ilhan Omar's outrageously anti-Semitic comments, and she's made them repeatedly, she came into this country as a child refugee from Somalia. She's of the Muslim faith. And she's infamous for attacks on our country, for attacks on quote-unquote white people, for attacks on injustice, and attacks on Jews. It got so bad there for a while that the House decided it had to pass a resolution. And over time, as the media got bored with the subject, Pelosi decided to water down the resolution. Why? She didn't want to lose the anti-Semitic wing of her party, which is growing and powerful. It's growing and powerful, which includes members of the Congressional Black Caucus. I'll tell you the truth, boy. I don't care. And includes some of the recent members who've been elected, like AOC, Talib. Presley, and of course, Omar. So why am I bringing this up now? Because, ladies and gentlemen, the other day, Nancy Pelosi endorsed Ilhan Omar in a Democrat primary to be the Democrat nominee for the House seat that she sits in. She's the David Duke of the Democrat Party. And Pelosi endorsed her. She has a good opponent. Pelosi said, as she was raising a fortune for her, Ileon is a valued and important member of our caucus. In her first term, Ileon has already established herself as a leader on a host of issues, from child nutrition to housing to U.S.-Africa relations. She's done no such thing. 
She's done no such thing. Now, Antonay Melton Mua, one of four challenges to Omar in the August 11 primary, has been fundraising nationally in part by rebuking Omar for her views on Israel. She's one of two Democrats in the House who backed the boycott Israel movement, P- BDS. That would be Talib and Omar. Talib and Omar. And the Speaker of the House of Representatives, number three in line to the presidency, Nancy Pelosi endorsed her. Just as Nancy Pelosi has been utterly silent about the arson, the looting, the mass murder that's taking place mostly in the black community in the inner cities, she has said nothing. These cities, many of them are run by white liberals, much like Nancy Pelosi. Some are run by just African-American liberals or just white liberals, whatever it is. She dare not question them, and she won't. But here's Nancy Pelosi endorsing Ilhan Omar in a Democrat primary, praising her as a valued and important member of our caucus, quote-unquote. I'll be right back. Lovin. I couldn't believe we were being evicted from our home that we never sold. That's what Deborah said when she learned she was the victim of home title fraud. Now, that is a devastating crime that can cost you your home. And title fraud is not, not covered by insurance or common identity theft services. The only folks to trust to protect your home's title is Home Title Lock. Cyber thieves discovered the titles to our homes are kept online. They forge your name on your deed, stating you sold your home and refile as the new owner. And in Deborah's case, she didn't even know she was a victim until the eviction notice arrived. Home Title Lock puts a virtual barrier around your home's title. The instant they detect tampering, they mobilize to shut it down. First things first, though. Go to HomeTitleLock.com, HomeTitleLock.com, and register your address to see if you're already a victim and you don't even know it. Then use code MARK. That's HomeTitleLock.com, code MARK, and you'll get 30 free days of protection. That's code MARK. Home Title Lock, code MARK. Home Title Lock, code MARK. I'm sure your home is your biggest asset. You need to protect it. I mean, anything can happen. Like right now, we're shut down on Twitter still, right, Mr. Producer? Some massive hacking is occurring. It's already hit a number of sites on Twitter. So Twitter has... In, in a defensive posture, has basically shut to protect our site and the sites of uh, other uh, public figures uh, with the purple check mark or the blue check mark, whatever that is. So that's what's going on on Twitter right now. They're under attack. Uh, and the same evil hacker types can go after your home. That's the whole point of home title lock. So you want to protect your home. Go to Home Title Lock and use code mark, Home Title Lock, use code mark. All right. Let's see here. I got to that. 
Nancy Pelosi. Now, notice one other thing, by the way. Has anybody questioned Nancy Pelosi about her endorsement of Ilhan Omar? No. Even Jabbar brings up Trump and Trump. And Trump. But he says nothing. And nobody says anything about what the, the game that Nancy Pelosi is playing, which is an extraordinarily dangerous game. It's a very dangerous game. President of the United States was asked the other, well, let's play this. Catherine Herridge, who I like a lot. She's at CBS now, left Fox. She interviewed the president. Cut five. Go. Let's talk about George Floyd. You said George Floyd's death was a terrible thing. Terrible. Why are African Americans still dying at the hands of law enforcement in this country? Now let's stop. I don't know what that... Why are African Americans still dying at the hands of law enforcement in this country? Well... If people are criminals or if they're going to assault somebody or they're doing something that requires a police officer to pull a gun, whether it's black, white, or whatever it is, they shoot. Go ahead. So are white people. So are white people. What a terrible question to ask. And the president's under attack for this because reporters say, well, as a percentage of the population, more black people are shot. I've gone over these statistics over and over again. We'll be back. From the Westwood One Podcast Network. Ladies and gentlemen, this final hour of the podcast is sponsored exclusively by AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens. Now over 2 million conservative members strong, AMAC believes in and stands up for the values that we care about, faith, family, and freedom. Thank you for listening, and please support AMAC. And you can become a member at amac.us slash join. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, America. Mark Levin here. As we celebrate the Falch, our number, 877 877- 381-3811-877-3811-3811. Well, look at this. The uh, coronavirus is back in some areas, or it's newly introduced in other areas. We had experts from Yale and Stanford that said this is exactly what's going to happen. People can't stay locked up in the closet forever. Eventually, they're going to go out. They're going to be with family members, even extended family. And um, can't live in a vacuum. Even apart from the people who are mostly peacefully burning down our cities and people who are on the beaches and so forth and so it would happen anyway. Just like the flu. It's a contagion. That doesn't mean you, you, you don't prepare for it and you try and take care of yourself. Same with the flu. They're not exactly the same. I never said they were. The lib media, he said it's the flu. Go ahead, Frank. Over there at the Huffington Post. Or wherever. The Daily Beast. Oh. Um, but the point is, 
The Tony Fauci model is exactly what is causing this current situation, as well as the great Daniel Horowitz over at Conservative Review is pointing out. Over 40% of the cases in the country are from counties that are on the border with Mexico or have a significant influx of aliens. Now, can't talk about that. No, 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 don't talk about that. It's Trump, 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 Trump. But you know, there is some good news. The media don't create anything. Congress doesn't create anything, except havoc. But the private sector is at work. The Associated Depressed, the first COVID-19 vaccine test in the United States, revved up people's immune systems just the way scientists had hoped, researchers reported on Tuesday. As shots are poised to begin key final testing. Now, I want to slow this down a little bit. It's important to understand how fast this is actually occurring. Let's count this. November, December, January, February, March, April, May, June, July. It's really seven months or so. Six to seven months. Give give or take a few weeks. Where our private sector has had an opportunity to really try and figure this out. Figure out what might work. And same with the universities and colleges. You have all kinds of, 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 of options that they're testing and they're, and they're pressing and they're mixing and they're doing all kinds of things. And they might go in one direction as opposed to another direction. They might hit a dead end. There may be some hope. And there's really three levels of testing. So what this means is already they've gone through two levels and now they're in the final testing phase. Or as the Associated Press puts it, key final testing. I just want you to understand how fast that is. Because for most drugs, it'll take anywhere from 10 to 20 years. Now, the President of the United States put this on a fast track. He met with these companies. He helped coordinate these companies with the federal efforts. And they keep saying, well, I would have done something differently. I would have done... We know. You would have gotten us all killed, you morons on the left. The experiment, even the Fouch, who, of course, we're honoring this evening, Tony Fauci, he even said, and so it means something, he's like God. No matter how you slice this, this is good news. Mr. Producer, if that's not science, I don't know what is. The experimental vaccine developed by colleagues at the National Institute of Health and Moderna, Inc., And they always work with the National Institutes for Health and these other government because you need their approval anyway. We'll start its most important step around July 27. July 27. A 30,000-person study to prove if the shots really are strong enough to protect against the coronavirus. Now, it could fail. But maybe not. But Tuesday, researchers reported anxiously awaited findings from the first 45 volunteers who rolled up their sleeves back in March. Sure enough, the vaccine provided a hoped-for immune boost. 
Those early volunteers develop what are called neutralizing antibodies in their bloodstream. That is, molecules key to blocking infection. At levels comparable to those found in people who survived COVID-19, the research team reported in the New England Journal of Medicine. Quote, this is an essential building block that is needed to move forward with the trials that could actually determine whether the vaccine does protect against infection, said Dr. Lisa Jackson, the Kaiser Permanente Washington Research Institute in Seattle, who led the study. There's no guarantee, but the government hopes to have results around the end of the year, record-setting speed for developing a vaccine. Now, let's just stop here. This is happening on the president's watch. He has prodded and encouraged and participated in coordinating, as is his task force, the private sector and government sectors, the universities and colleges to come up with something and come up with something fast. They're talking potentially, if this works out, by the end of the year. You see, the election's in November. By the end of the year, politically politically, won't be good enough. Medically, it's amazing. Medically, it's amazing if it works out. But politically, politically, something else is going on entirely. Something else is going on entirely. It is a, an immense propaganda campaign by the demagogues and the Democrat Party and the media. I'll give you an example. Today, Cut eight. Go. Today marks the two-month anniversary of the passage of the HEROES Act. In that two months, so much has happened in our country that could have been prevented had the Republicans not caused for a pause, but had agreed to take action to protect the American people from the coronavirus threat. Now, of course, none of us know what she's talking about. But lives could have been saved if the Republicans had acted. She controls the House of Representatives. What the hell is she talking about? And believe it or not, this kind of mindless, in fact, insane propaganda is having an effect. It's having an effect. She goes on today at this so-called news conference. Cut. Not, oh, by the way, her news conferences are always thoroughly political. So when the President of the United States has a terrific news conference the other day, I thought it was outstanding. Hey, you don't use the Rose Garden for politics? And the geniuses who run the Biden campaign. But you know what? You can make a hell of a lot of money running the Biden campaign and do literally nothing. The guy doesn't go anywhere, barely says anything. Can make a fortune. Doing nothing. Anyway... Listen to this. This is going to get your blood boiling. Cut nine, go. Every day that goes by, the anxiety deepens in the homes of households of America. The kitchen table concerns about how they're going to pay the bills. How are they going to put food on the table? Are they going to be able to send their children to school? Now stop they- right there. Listen carefully to this. Very, very carefully. Start at the top, Mr. Producer. Cut nine, go. Every day that goes by, the anxiety deepens in the homes of households of America. Stop. This is what they want. This is why they want the economy closed, businesses shuttering, 
people losing their jobs, people who lost their jobs, not finding jobs. This is why they want to keep the schoolhouse door closed. This is why she is the modern-day Orville Faubus and George Wallace standing in the doorhouse way to prevent little kids from going to school. They enjoy that sort of thing. It's back. Anyway, you get the point? They want people anxious, particularly women, white women, in the suburbs with a college education because they know if they can get enough of them, they win. It's that simple. And so they want people, I'll be blunt, without jobs, they want their businesses closed, and they want their kids at home. They don't care about the school lunch program anymore or vaccinations in school anymore or health care in school anymore. They don't care about any of these programs that if you ever even thought about adjusting them, my God, they hate kids. Oh, my God. They've shut down the whole public school system. Well, you can do it on the Internet from home. Really? Not if you have an abusive father or mother who might be a drunk. Not if the parents don't give a damn if the kid gets an education. But we can't have you see alternative schools. No, it's either the public schools, which they're shutting down, or stay at home. What is this, East Germany? Yes, apparently. Every day that goes by, the anxiety deepens in the households. Well, of course, she stutters and bumbles through, but I'm reading it straight. In the households of America. The kitchen table concern of how they will pay the bills, put food on the table, send kids to school, and are they at risk of being infected, and what does that mean for transmission? It means nothing, because the science says it's okay. The science says it's okay. So you see what kind of a demagogue she is, a nasty, evil, fascistic person. That's right, I said it. Go ahead. Every day that goes by, the anxiety deepens in the homes of households of America. The kitchen table concerns about how they're going to pay the bills. How are they going to put food on the table? Are they going to be able to send their children to school? Are they at risk? Are they at risk of being infected? What, what is it with these demagogues? They can't read a sentence? They can't read the note cards that are put under their, their eyeballs? They can't read them? This. Whether it's Pelosi or Biden, it's, it's like, what's going on here? Anyway, go ahead. That mean in terms of transmission to other members of the family? Follow the science, you idiot. The science says there won't be any or very little. But the president won't follow the science. I, Nancy uh, Pelosi... Nancy S. Pelosi, Nancy Stretch Pelosi, we follow the science here on Capitol Hill, and so we listen to what Tony, uh, Tony has to say, our demigods, and uh, we want the schools to be closed as long as humanly possible to increase the anxiety, to do the bidding of the, uh, of the unions. Go ahead. Are we disconnected from that, that we don't understand there are solutions? Ah, shut up, you idiot. There are solutions, she says. Well, what are they? You're seeing the solutions evolve in front of your eyes, ladies and gentlemen. Now, let me suggest another solution to you. Throw that ass out of office. Oh, no, she'll still get elected from San Francisco. 
Look, if she were a tomato juice can, she'd still get elected from San Francisco. Ooh, a Democrat tomato juice can. I'm voting for that. But throw her out of the speakership. She's done enough damage to this country, and she's got a lot of plans to destroy your jobs, destroy your businesses, destroy your schools, and destroy your country. She is a nut. I'll be right back. in. AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens, is one of the fastest growing organizations in America. Now over 2 million conservative members strong, and I'm one of them. AMAC believes in and stands up for the values that we constitutional conservatives care about. More than talk, AMAC fights. A full-time presence in Washington, AMAC pushes back against reckless spending, disasters like Medicare for All, and the expanding reach of the federal government. And beyond advocacy, joining AMAC gives you access to a wealth of benefits and discounts, including special member-only rates on car insurance, travel discounts, cell phone plans, and a hell of a lot more. And if that's not enough, you'll get AMAC's bi-monthly magazine full of insightful articles on issues that matter to most of us, we conservatives. As I said, I'm an AMAC member, and you should be too. Join today at amac.us. That's A-M-A-C dot U-S. Stop supporting the liberal agenda that the other 50-plus organization has been pushing for. Join AMAC instead. A-M-A-C dot U-S. This evening, the National Association of Police Organizations, which endorsed Obama-Biden in the past, Mr. Producer, has endorsed Trump-Pence. They're endorsing the President of the United States as they should and as they must for their own survival. As they should and they must for their own survival. That's very, very important. Mary Trump is on ABC News. With George Stephanopoulos. No, I'm not going to play the clip. Why do I care about Mary Trump? Mary, Mary, quite contrary. But I want to make an offer. Pretend I'm a publisher or pretend I'm a journalist like George Stephanopoulos. I'm going to make an offer. If there's any family member, even an extended family member, who is related to George Stephanopoulos, obviously... And has any dirt on George? By all means, contact us. Because this is the new journalism. This is the new publishing. Contact us. Well, Mark, he's not a politician. No, he's more powerful than a politician. In many ways. Anybody has any dirt on George Stephanopoulos? We'd love to know about it, wouldn't you, Mr. Producer? Uh, anybody have any dirt on Chuck Todd? There must be a lot of dirt on him. Anybody? Any family member? Extended family member? I've done a psycho- uh, psychological analysis of Chuck Todd, as the psychologists and psychiatrists do of the president. He's not well. He's definitely not well, which is why he walks backwards in a circle and is constantly banging his head. Here's Chuck Hodd on MSLSD today. In addition to this m- moron, Katie Tur, T-U-R. And on the show is Tim Murtaugh, who is the president's director of communications for his campaign. Cut seven, go. 
Tim Murtaugh, that's all the time we have. Thank you so much for joining us. We will note the president is the only one having indoor rallies uh, or events of that scale in the entire country. Again, the protests were outdoors. All of the, the doctors and health experts say that that is a safer place to hold them. I attended a number of those rallies. Everybody was wearing a mask. Hand hey, sanitizer. idiot. Everybody was not wearing a mask. We saw them on TV. And what the hell are you doing? You want to be a spokes idiot for the Biden campaign? Then climb down from your high perch, you jerk, and do it. Go ahead. Was handed out, and we just saw the images of those rallies. People were not wearing masks inside the president's rally. There was not social distancing. This is Katie Turd, by the way. Go ahead. Uh, being practiced. We saw the signs being removed uh, from seats. You so you can say you handed out sand sanitizer an and gave out masks. They, they weren't wearing them. And also, Dr. Fauci today has said that... Wait a minute! Uh, Tony? What did Tony say? Go ahead. ...period for this disease could be longer uh, than, than just two weeks. So, uh, Tim Murtaugh, thanks so much for joining us. We oh, she'd be a great reporter over there in the Soviet Union, the old Soviet Union. Go ahead. Your time. I appreciate Chuck, that speech, you. Katie. Thank you. We will have uh, the brand new NBC News Wall Street Journal poll will be unveiled today at 5 p.m. on Meet the Press Daily. And just a reminder, for what it's worth, there is no editorial point of view here uh, on any of these newscasts on MSNBC in the daytime. Um, but at 5 p.m. Eastern. What? What? Have- what? What? What then? What the hell did we just hear, you idiot? You moron. This is MSLSD. This is NBC. This is Comcast. Katie Turd and Chuck Todd. What pukes? I mean, seriously. You're there on national TV. Three people saw the whole thing. I'll be right back. AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens, is one of the fastest-growing organizations in America, now over 2 million conservative members strong, and I'm one of them. AMAC believes in and stands up for the values that we constitutional conservatives care about. More than talk, AMAC fights. A full-time presence in Washington, AMAC pushes back against reckless spending, disasters like Medicare for All, and the expanding reach of the federal government. And beyond advocacy, joining AMAC gives you access to a wealth of benefits and discounts, including special member-only rates on car insurance, travel discounts, cell phone plans, and a hell of a lot more. And if that's not enough, you'll get AMAC's bi-monthly magazine full of insightful articles on issues that matter to most of us, we conservatives. As I said, I'm an AMAC member, and you should be too. Join today at amac.us. That's A-M-A-C dot U-S. Stop supporting the liberal agenda that the other 50-plus organization has been pushing for. Join AMAC instead, A-M-A-C dot U-S. seems so confusing mike will be glad to clear that up for you call him now at 877-381-3811 pramila jayapal if that is her name pramila jayapal is a radical nut job member of congress i think from washington state in any event i want you to listen to what she has said what she has said about Joe Biden and why she enthusiastically supports him. The Bernie Sanders group enthusiastically supports him. And, and the, um, 
Black Lives Matter enthusiastically supports them. The Marxists and the socialists. Cut 11, go. Um, And so when Senator Sanders asked me to be uh, the co-chair for the Sanders side of the unity task forces, there are three Sanders representatives and five Biden representatives on the task force, many friends of mine on the Biden side. Um, And I would say that we did a lot of good work together to really push the vice president's healthcare platform much further than it's been before, to take elements of Medicare for all and put it into the platform. You got that? They want to nationalize health care. They're doing it as fast as they can. And they're taking big steps in that direction. But there's the moderate centrist Joe Biden. And we've got Trump's tweets. So let's see. How do we decide this election? And it's worse than that. David Harsani over at National Review. Remembering Joe Biden's newest fan, Angela Davis. Ring a bell? Last night, 76-year-old radical Angela Davis was trending on Twitter. Due to her endorsement, her endorsement of Joe Biden. Bravely, we go into the future, I guess. While no politician can control who supports them, apparently numerous pundits believe that the Davis endorsement is worthy of celebration. Why isn't Angela Davis asked for commentary on major news channels? Wonders the Washington Post's Wajahat Ali. That's correct. Wajahat Ali. Well, I can think of a few. Number one, Davis is an unrepentant champion of domestic terrorists and murders. In the early 1970s, she famously bought two of the guns used in the 1970 Marin County courtroom kidnapping shootout perpetrated by Black Panthers, in which a Superior Court judge and three hostages were murdered. After being charged with aggravated kidnapping and first-degree murder, Davis went into hiding, even after the FBI caught up to her, And even after evidence showed that she had been in correspondence with the planners and well aware of the violent disposition, she was acquitted in 1972. Davis never stopped defending convicted Black Panther murderers, including those who had tortured a teenager to death, and yet she's still treated as a celebrity. But she endorses Biden. Got that, white college graduate uh, women in the suburbs? Number two. Davis collaborated with some of the world's most nefarious regimes. The CIA estimated that at least 5% of the entire Soviet Russian propaganda budget in 1971 had been spent on propping up and defending Davis as opposed to for going to the war in Vietnam. And she reciprocated eagerly and often. Davis first visited the Soviet Union in 1972, a year of renewed political repression and forced labor. Ms. Davis hailed Soviet politics and policies Ready New York Times headline from August of that year, Soviet ideologues <clears throat> raised Miss Davis's to the status of virtual folk heroine during her California trial on murder conspiracy charges before she was found not guilty earlier this year. Alexander Solzhenitsyn singled out Davis as a tool of Soviet propagandists in his 1975 book, Communism, A Legacy of Terror, or rather his speech. In 1979, Davis would return to Moscow to collect her Lenin Peace Prize. Lenin Peace Prize. Praising the glorious name of the mass-murdering founder of the Soviet Union and his great October Revolution. On neither trip did she utter a single word of criticism or concern about the largest prison system that mankind had ever created. Only high praise. Then again, by 1979, Davis had already met and been feted by Cuba's dictator Fidel Castro and East Germany's vile Erich Honecker. 
even while she was certainly aware that the Stasi secret police were torturing political prisoners and soldiers were summarily executing Germans caught trying to course the border to freedom. When Jerry Pelican, one of the champions of the Prague Spring, wrote an open letter to Davis in the New York Review of Books in 1972, asking her to put in a word for hundreds of Czechoslovakian political prisoners, while on one of her escapades to the Eastern Bloc, she refused. Davis was a fan of the cult leader Jim Jones, himself a champion of communist causes, a fact that is often conveniently skipped in the retelling of his story. Only two months before the Jonestown mass suicide, Davis personally assured the cult members through booming loudspeakers that Jim Jones' cause was a worthwhile one, was just another massacre Davis cheered on. Third, Davis still supports the cause of terrorists. In recent years, she took up the cause of Marwan Bargodi, the Al-Aqsa Martyrs Brigade terrorist who was sentenced to five life sentences for coordinating suicide bombings that killed men, women, and children in Israel, including American citizens. Davis also advocated for the terrorist Russian Odeh, who was convicted of helping murder two Jewish students in the 1969 Jerusalem bombing. If some third-tier academic was shilling for fascist regimes and extremists around the world her entire career, she'd be rightfully relegated to obscurity. If she's on the radical left, however, pundits will wonder why she's not getting more attention. No, they won't. So is anybody going to ask Joe Biden to reject Angela Davis's endorsement? Do you see where the Democrat Party has gone, ladies and gentlemen? Those of you who are on the fence, those of you who think you're independents, those of you who are troubled by tweets, are you troubled by domestic terrorists and domestic terrorism? Are you troubled by Marxism? Are you troubled by people who have designs on your entire lifestyle, who seek to destroy your suburbs, who seek to destroy our inner cities further? Your health care? You better start looking around. You better start paying attention. Those of you, I'm not sure what to do. You know, uh, I, I don't know. I, uh, I'm kind of a Republican. I, I might be kind of a, but those tweets, they really, tweets. When you're facing fascism, communism, let's just call it totalitarianism. Tweets? Really? You should be very, very concerned. Very concerned. This isn't the radical left. This is the American-style Marxist left. They have adapted Marxism, both in terms of language and their propaganda, their positioning and their policy papers, to America. The goal is not to scare you. But you should be very, very scared. And they're very excited about it. Here you have Pramila Jayapal, whoever the hell that is, bragging about how they've moved Biden hard left. Bernie would be very happy. And look at the people who are involved in these unity groups. AOC, Jayapal, Pelosi endorsing Omar in the Democrat primary. Not a word about the riots because those are the voters of the Democrat Party, Bernie Sanders supporters. Not a word about the police being beaten and shot. Nothing. But don't worry, you know, the people want somebody who's going to bring some normalcy, Mr. Producer, like Joe Biden. The Democrat Party, I don't care if it's Joe Biden, 
I don't care if it's Joseph Stalin. The Democrat Party's not bringing normalcy and peace and tranquility to this country. They're the ones who are at the heart of the anarchy and the Marxism and the chaos. They're not going to bring anything back. They roll this buffoon out, this Biden. This Biden was a buffoon before he had a mental deficiency. He's always been a buffoon. He's an idiot. That's why he has to cheat on his law school exams. That's why he's a plagiarist. That's why he has to lie about his academic record. That's why he couldn't put seven words together. It's only gotten worse. And imagine him a year from now or two years from now, God forbid. This is big trouble. This election shouldn't even be close. Shouldn't even be close. Do we have more people in this country that love this country? Or do we have more people in this country that hate this country? That's the decision. That's the bottom line. The Democrats have never loved this country. They always want to fundamentally transform it. Lurching in one direction or the other. But it's always about terror. And depravity. And poverty. And worse. The fact that this party still exists after the Civil War is really quite shocking. The fact that we have LeBron James and other multi-million dollar stars and in Hollywood and so forth who are registered Democrats or support Democrats while complaining about slavery is really shocking. The stupidity, the idiocy, the insanity. And now... It's gotten so bizarre that individual liberty is considered repression or oppression. Letting people act freely to do as they wish as long as it's lawful. That now is said to be the tactic of the white supremacists, who of course are all Republicans. So the American-style Marxists have done a hell of a job of lying, of deceiving, of spinning, of destroying. I'll be right back. AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens, is one of the fastest-growing organizations in America, now over 2 million conservative members strong, and I'm one of them. AMAC believes in and stands up for the values that we constitutional conservatives care about. More than talk, AMAC fights. A full-time presence in Washington, AMAC pushes back against reckless spending, disasters like Medicare for All, and the expanding reach of the federal government. And beyond advocacy, joining AMAC gives you access to a wealth of benefits and discounts, including special member-only rates on car insurance, travel discounts, cell phone plans, and a hell of a lot more. And if that's not enough, you'll get AMAC's bi-monthly magazine full of insightful articles on issues that matter to most of us, we conservatives. As I said, I'm an AMAC member, and you should be too. Join today at AMAC.us. 
That's A-M-A-C dot U-S. Stop supporting the liberal agenda that the other 50-plus organization has been pushing for. Join AMAC instead. A-M-A-C dot U-S. Apparently, Twitter's back. Honestly, don't forget, we have Parler and we have Facebook. I want to say something. To you first responders in New York, it breaks my heart to see what's happening. To you. But you don't have to be victims either. You have a right to self-defense too, as any citizen does, especially as cops, but any citizen. You may answer to a corrupt communist mayor but you have a right to defend yourselves and protect yourselves and if some piece of crap walks up with a pipe or a baseball bat and hits one of you guys over the head then hammer the bastard Joe in Queens, New York, the great WABC go, go ahead Joe hi hi speak Yes, hi. My name is Joe, and uh, I just want to say that Karim Abdul-Jabbar met uh, the former chief rabbi of Israel, Israel Lau, who was a Holocaust survivor, and the rabbi, um, uh, what do you call it, the rabbi arranged for him to pray at the um, Mosque of Omar, the, uh, Dome of the, the Dome of the Rock on top of the Temple Mount. And that gets us where exactly? So that uh, so one of the reasons why Abdul Jabbar might have written that letter is because he had a good he had a good session with the rabbi with the rabbi okay. with the rabbi who was a Holocaust survivor. Very good, very good. I didn't know that. All right, Joe. Thank you for your call, sir. Steve, Indianapolis, Indiana, Sirius Satellite, go. Yeah, Mark, I'm on the front lines of the COVID effort in, in hospitals and. I will tell you that I... I take it you're a doctor or a nurse? Yes, sir. All right, go right ahead. And and what I I see is that when they have the spikes, what the spikes are are, is the the virus trying to reach immunity with us. That's what it's trying to do, and we shouldn't be tamping that down. You are exactly right, which is what the experts at Stanford, the experts at Yale, the experts at Oxford, the experts at Rockefeller have all said this is going to happen whether we like it or not. Isn't that correct, Doctor? That's correct. And so when and so when they tamp it down in New York or any other state or city, and the tax revenues start to plummet, they should not get any help from Trump or the federal government to pay their workers or to, to recover their states. He should look at them as he does other things and say, Mr. Governor, you made that choice. You live with it. And I, I hope you're start- right. I've said that on the air. I've actually said it in person. Do not bail out these governors any more than you would bail out these mayors. That's the only way you're going to get rid of them. That's the only way you're going to get decent policies. But every time they do it, they have, it all it does for them, it, what it does for them is give them an opportunity to bash Trump one mm-hmm. more time. They're using it as a weapon to bring I, it up. I agree 100 percent. I do. Thank you, doctor or nurse. Appreciate your call. He's right. What you're seeing now is herd, you mean, herd immunity working its way through the society. Dr. Fauci never fully grasped this uh, or never endorsed it. It's not a matter of endorsing or grasping. It is what it is. It's Mother Nature. And she can be quite a you-know-what. 
And that's what she's doing. And so when people are hunkered down for a couple of months and then they leave their homes, it strikes. You cannot escape it. I don't care how many masks you wear. I don't care how many gloves you wear. Unless you're going to stay in your home forevermore. And the little kids don't get it. We're going to close the schools. Just remember who you're dealing with. The people who don't open their mouths when our buildings are burning. We salute our armed forces, police officers. God bless you. Emergency personnel. And everybody else who's been helping our country. Thank you very much. I know it's tough right now. I really, really do. God bless you. I'll see you all tomorrow. From the Westwood One Podcast Network.